Children are welcome to go with Mother Wendy and little ones with Miss Cheryl. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Would you, Lord, would you just let us sit before you this morning? Would you give us time with you? We bless you and thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're on the sixth Sunday of Easter. We celebrate Easter for seven Sundays. And during this Easter tide, what we've been doing here is we've been looking at how the New Testament proclaims that Jesus' resurrection opens up the way to everlasting life and in that proclaims that that new life has come back, if you will, to meet us now. And the language for that, the way that the New Testament talks about that is in the powers having been defeated and put under the rule of Jesus. Now, we've been talking about how these powers can be hard to define. It'd be hard to understand they're spiritual, but they're also social. They can be personal. They're all kinds of different things. And it's hard some ways to get a handle on it. In some ways, it's because the human is the image bearer of God and a being that is meant to connect to spiritual reality. So when we humans do things together and make structures and make institutions and all of that, our personalities make a power. And those collected personalities make a power. They give a culture. They give an ethos. Those things are a part of the powers that are talked about in the New Testament. Those things are some of the things, those, those intangible, untouchable things that are hard to define and hard to put your finger on and aren't written anywhere, are some of the things that the New Testament proclaims that Jesus has pushed aside to make space for his way. So this past week, we had a very poignant illustration of the kinds of effects that the powers have on humans. We saw in front of us, in a very public way, a person in our society who has benefited from, and if you will, allowed himself to be discipled by, shaped by, formed by the powers in all kinds of ways, in terms of his sex, his gender, in terms of his race, in terms of his class, social standing, in every way he's benefited from the powers. And he's then rolled with that. And he's used that to his advantage. He's shaped and formed his whole life through that. So the question then is, what do the powers do to a human being? If we roll with them because they have energy and they have force and it's where the current of everything is going, how does that shape us over time? What does that make us into? Does that allow that forth from us shows the spirit of, the, of God, the fruit of the spirit? Sorry, I made that compli- more complicated than it needed to be. Does that make us people that this, the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that these things are who we are? Or does it shape us into something different from that? We saw this poignantly this past week when this person was released a deposition 
in which he was accused of mis seriously mistreating a woman and the way that he defended himself showed a life shaped by the powers. She's not my type. I would never do that to her. She's not my type. What's the power? The power is the idea that women are types and that you find your type. And if you find your type, you can pretty much do whatever you can get away with rather than this is wrong. I would not do this. It's immoral. This is other than what God made women to be, shaped in the image of God. Well, this has been going on for a million years, unfortunately or fortunately. I'm taking this one to be a Freudian slip. It's hard to sort it out otherwise. What's the power? Women know their place. They know that's what they're made for. They know that's why God made them. It's been this way for a million years. It's obvious that's what they're for. To the lawyer then, who's interviewing this person, well, you're not really my type either. I hope that doesn't disappoint you. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Use wealth, use privilege, use manipulation. Try to put the other person in a space where they feel like they have to justify themselves. A life shaped by the powers. What is the fruit of a life shaped by the powers? Friends, it's this kind of reality. This opens our eyes to see this reality. This is the kind of thing Paul's talking about. And this kind of reality is what led Paul to write one of his tougher passages. And this morning, what we get to see is that sometimes when we run into one of Paul's tougher passages, we ought to be saying hooray instead of, ooh, I don't like that. We ought to be saying, yeah, preach it, tell it. And that's this one. To Paul in Ephesians, he says, although you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, the powers, the current, the way everything goes, even though you were dead, we go, oh, come on, Paul, that's a bit strong, isn't it? Well, is it? Does it give life? Does it make us into who we are meant to be as human beings? Can it break us through? to another place. No, it can't. It doesn't. We are dead. We're stuck. Paul says, according to the ruler of the domain of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience. This is one of those Paul moments that we read backwards. And because we've read it backwards, it has led to all kinds of problems in our society and the church. In the charismatic movement, this has been read as their spirits in the air, Nature is bad. It's full of bad spirits. And if you, op if you give them an opening, they will rush in. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying that nature is inherently evil. He's not saying there's something wrong with it. What he's saying is these powers are so pervasive, they're so prevalent, it's as if they're just the air we breathe. The Greek genitive case can work in different ways. A better way to read this one is Paul saying, of course, yeah, it's self you know, it's, it seems self-evident. Of course, I roll along and look for the woman who's my type. It's self-evident. Isn't everybody? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, that's what guys do. It's in the air. It's the spirit of the air. Paul's saying, we've walked in this, and this, Paul's saying, has not helped us. 
It's not helped us to be true human beings. It's not helped us to be what we're meant to be in the image of God. Paul says, this happens among whom all of us who've lived in our cravings of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, who are by nature children of wrath. And we go, okay, there's a problem with nature. Paul just means you're born into it, that's all. You're born, it's natural. Natural in that sense. And in that sense, Paul then says, we're children of wrath. And we go, well, that seems heavy. When you hear, she's not my type, well, fortunately or unfortunately, the anger you feel, that's wrath. That's good. Amen? That wrath is right on. It's holy. It's good. It's also good because it's not the last word. It's not the last word. Paul is saying, this is where humanity is. It's where we struggle. It's where we try to break free, but we don't have the power in ourselves. But he's saying it's not the last word. It's not a closed system. God has intervened and has given us the gift of our true selves. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Paul says, has given us our true selves. And what we're going to do, we're going to walk with Paul through three things. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to tell us who we are, what our status is with God in reality, who we are. The second thing he's going to do is tell us why we exist. And the third thing he's going to do is tell us a way of discovering our true selves that's often left off the table, a way we tend to miss. So first, our status. Paul does this fantastic thing again where he lines up these past tense verbs, these perfect tense verbs that say it is done. It's finished. It's accomplished. It's been accomplished. It's real. And what he says is who we are and where we are is that we are people who have been made alive together with Christ. We've been raised up together with Christ. We are seated together with Christ in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Paul says, who are you then? You are someone who is together with Jesus. And when Jesus gave himself and when Jesus was defeated, but then, or was, was killed, but then was vindicated and rose back to life and defeated the powers. You, friends, I, we stand with Jesus. We're together with him, made alive, raised up, put in this place where who we are are people who don't have to live drowning in the current of the powers. We live in a different place because we are different people. He loves you so much that he's bringing you with him. It's that simple. Paul has already, Paul says God has already done this. He's done it in order to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his gifting and kindness to us. Paul says by grace or by gift, by gift you have been made whole saved, brought out of the current of the powers. By gift, you've been made whole, so believe it. Grab it. This not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. This, friends, believing this, having the humility to accept this as gift is the crucial first step. 
The second step then is why we exist. It's been this way for a million years. Forget a million years. It's been this way for you from before you existed in the mind of God. For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus, the word of God who spoke all things into being, for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we can do them. Just because the words good works show up there, this is not an Eeyore moment. This is not a ha-ha, fooled you, just kidding, it isn't really gift. It's not what Paul's saying. What Paul's saying is, God made you, he knows you. He knows who you are, he knows what your personality is, he dreamed you up, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He gave you your particular personality, your particular life, and he has all kinds of creative good stuff for you to do that you will come alive when you do. Maybe it's the arts, maybe it's engineering, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's, you know, whatever. Maybe it's writing, whatever it is in your life. Good works that God has planned for you when you're doing them, when you're lost in that creative energy and you're trusting the Lord to the gift he's given you and you're just free and living. You know how God feels about that? He, he gets Gabriel, the archangel, like, Gabriel, come here, look at, look at that. Isn't, isn't that beautiful? I made her. I told you she'd do that. Look at her go. That's how God is. That's how he feels about you finding, living into. That's what he means by good works which were made beforehand, before the world even existed, before the world began. In this beforehand language, Paul is hinting at something in the Apocrypha in in a book called Wisdom, and he's talking about hints of the original human purpose to make God's creation, the the abode of his glory and his presence. And when you, when I, when we grasp this and live into this wonderful life for us, God is glorified in that. Thirdly, Paul's going to then, in the next chapter, in chapter three, he's going to give us a way of discovering our true self that is often left off the table. We miss it. And this is the the next place we're jumping a little bit over because the next place where he begins to talk about creation. So he's going all the way back to say this is who you are from way, way back before you even existed, all the way back in creation. He says, this is the mystery that's been hidden for ages in God who has created all things. The purpose of the revealing is in order that Through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God should now be disclosed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That is an absolutely stunning statement. Through the church, the victory of God, the winning of the spirit of God, the fact that love is the energy at the core of all things that brought all things into being, God has given it to us to manifest these things and to show the powers. Are you mad at the world? Do you want to give the world the middle finger? God's saying, well, get together and love each other. I've already done it for you. And when you do that, it gets shown. 
it gets made real. And you, you just make them so furious. Paul says this is now being made known. Two last things in here. One is hilarious. The other one takes us to our true selves. The hilarious one is this. When Paul says the multifaceted wisdom of God, the word multifaceted in Greek is literally, it's literally multicolored. It is literally multicultural, multicolored. The idea that God is not interested in racial reconciliation, I'm sorry, it dies right there. The word is literally multicolored. The second one, our true selves. How then do we find our true selves? When we trust the gift of God, when we trust and believe that love, when we then join motivated by that to serve sacrificially and especially when we do it together, then the mystery that it's love at the core of the universe, that self-giving, self-sacrificing love is the thing that springs all of life into what it's meant to be and its glory, that mystery is made clear. And one of the ways to find our true selves is simply to get involved in that and get lost in it. And then we either have these moments where we realize, I didn't know I was this way. I didn't know I was this happy. I didn't know I was this gentle. I didn't know I cared this much. Or we just forget to even ask the question in the first place. We're just so busy carrying on, loving, serving, doing it. Paul, friends, in these passages. These are some deep ones. These are some dense ones. Paul writes some long, dense sentences, and these are some of those. But he's giving us the key to the great mysteries of life. Who are we? Why are we here? How do we walk into that? The answer is believe, grab hold. You are together in Christ. The vindication that's been given to him is given to you. Believe it. Believe that he made you. You're not random. He's given you a life to live. He's given you good creative things to do. And get involved in the church, serving, letting the church together be a place where a power different from the powers is the energy on which it runs and the energy that it gives to the world. This is the only thing that cannot be deconstructed. A community of self-giving love is the only thing that cannot be deconstructed. And thereby, Jesus gets glory. We're a decent-sized church. We're a little church, but a decent size. We're going to need pretty much all of us to continue to grow our culture and to have that culture thrive and pass on to all of us. We're going to need pretty much all of us to be involved serving in some way. Pray for us as we continue to build some of our ministries. Pray for us also as we look for mission partners. We've got a couple of new mission partners we've started conversations with. 
local here, super excited about these super early stages, but just pray for that. Places where the way of Jesus and the glory of Jesus can be seen and can shine forth through us. Friends, let's pray. Just invite you to take a moment. And just thank Jesus for his sacrificial love. Thank God for knowing, planning, dreaming, delighting in you even before you existed. That your life is not random. Praise God that the mystery of God's new world is revealed here among and through us. Lord, as we continue to pray, we ask, come, Lord Jesus, our breath and our life. Come, the consolation of our souls. Come, our joy, our glory, our endless delight.